0: Welcome to the CCO Reads podcast. CCO stands for Catholic Christian Outreach, a Canadian university student movement dedicated to evangelization. CCO is on campuses across Canada, forming young leaders for the renewal of the world. If you'd like to learn more about our work, you can visit our website, cco.ca. CCO Reads is an initiative of some of our staff and student missionaries. We believe that reading has the power to transform us and our world. As we strive to be missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus, we want to be influenced by good books. In this podcast, I speak with interesting guests about their experience of books and reading. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Father Cristino Bouvet, who is a priest and vocations director for the Diocese of Calgary, Alberta. Welcome to the podcast, Father Christino.
1: Thank you very much, Dan.
0: So, today our topic is Cardinal Robert Sarah, Vatican Prefect for the Congregation of Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. Um, as many of our listeners know, CCO is hosting Cardinal Sarah for the annual St. John Fisher Dinner in Kingston this Wednesday, March 14th. And the dinner has been sold out for a number of weeks, but we are planning to make the Cardinals talk live on Facebook um, available to anybody who wants to hear it. So if you want to find out how you can listen in, then stick around at the end of my conversation with Father Cristino today, and I'll give the details for that. So Father Cristino, before we get to Cardinal Sarah, you are the vocations director for the Diocese of Calgary, and I just wanted to know, what is that like?
1: Well, I am still figuring that out as I go. But uh, it's been a a very interesting transition for me after five years of priestly ministry in parish work uh, and then a new bishop coming. And of all people, a bishop who before being a bishop was the rector of my seminary uh, was quite a surprise and a shock, I guess you could say, in my life. And so last year, uh, among his first pastoral moves, he informed me that he would like to make me the vocation director of the diocese. Which came as a big surprise to me because I just expected to be continuing my my work in parish ministry, which I love very much. But uh, was also honored and grateful for the opportunity. So now I do a lot of time uh, with uh, university students, and I have found that perhaps the more fruitful place for me to position myself and reaching into the lives of young adults uh, is on university campus. As uh, CCO missionaries are well aware, and it has actually already borne a lot of fruit. At the time of this recording, uh, I could encourage people to still say a prayer for the five young men from Calgary who are driving as we speak to Edmonton to take part in the Come and See weekend uh, to discern whether or not God might be calling them to enter the seminary there soon.
0: Very cool. Yes, we will pray for them. Um, 10 years ago, I remember. Uh, it was pretty common to hear people talk about um, the state of vocations in Canada in kind of a, oh, I guess, like a pessimistic way. Um, I think people worried a lot about the state of vocations. And I wondered if, uh, if you think that it's changed over the last decade or so.
1: I do believe it has changed. Uh, I think that there is a new uh, vigor for uh, openness to discerning God's call I think that for a a significant length of time, it just wasn't even considered realistic to imagine that God was still calling people to the priesthood of religious life. But now I think there is not just realism about it, but there's even an excitement. I think uh, less and less I am talking to young people who are afraid that God might be calling them to the priesthood of religious life. And more and more I'm talking to people who, are excited at the possibility that maybe that is exactly what our Lord is doing in their lives and uh, That's not what I would have expected Uh, I I was among those who Went with fear and trepidation that this might actually happen if I open myself up to it But uh, now i'm i'm finding people more are just hoping that they're making the right decision uh, And are excited to see what God might be doing in their life. So that to me is a clear indication that things are changing uh, and We uh, are putting people into the seminary every year for the last few years, and so I think uh, at least in the Diocese of Calgary, we feel very blessed and uh, encouraged for the future.
0: Congratulations, that's amazing. Um, This podcast is about reading, so I wanted to ask you uh, just some general questions about books and reading. So for Mm -hmm. you as a Catholic priest, I'm just wondering how important is reading uh, in your life?
1: Uh, Reading is very important. Uh, I think that our spiritual tradition, at the very least, has always identified the practice of spiritual reading as being uh, an integral way in which we pray and not just pass the time. And so spiritual reading, I think, is a a sense in which, as one saint has put it, um, mental prayer is us talking to God. Uh, in the silence of our hearts, and spiritual reading is God speaking to us uh, when the the written word is actually communicating a truth to us. And so reading is an indispensable part of every Christian spiritual life. And so all the more for the priest who is supposed to be setting an example for his people to follow. Uh, But I think more broadly than just spiritual reading, reading is good in general. Uh, Reading is done in quiet. Uh, reading stimulates the mind. It's not the same passive activity as uh, watching television, uh, or even for that matter, I mean, I still like listening to books on tape, or not on tape anymore nowadays, but <laughs> <dating> listening <laughs> to recordings um, to pass the time on the road. But it's a much more passive way of receiving that information than actually sitting down and reading. I think mm-hmm. there is something um, innate in in the human capacity to to think and to contemplate that reading triggers. And so it's important for our intellectual and our human development as well.
0: Aside from spiritual books, what are the other kinds of books that you would gravitate towards personally?
1: I enjoy reading um, history. I, I, I like reading things about uh, the past, even if it's dramatized history. Uh, and then something that I I don't know exactly how virtuous this is but I have become very attached to the few internet commentators and blogs that I like and although it doesn't necessarily feel as I said as virtuous as sitting down with a good book and cracking it open and and doing actual hard work at reading scrolling through the phone when you have some time and reading an article online I think is uh, also still something valuable and so I enjoy reading a commentary about politics and economics and the life of the church. So variety of things.
0: Now, as a vocations director, you must recommend something to young men who are discerning priesthood. So I wonder if you have a good recommendation for young men listening who might uh, might be looking for something that they should read as they discern this call.
1: Absolutely. I I try and point all of my my uh, young men in the direction of a couple of preliminary books, first of which is by Cardinal Timothy Dolan, a past speaker of yours at the John Fisher dinner, who wrote a book called Priest for the Third Millennium, which isn't actually a book that he wrote. It's a compilation of the conferences he gave while the rector of the North American College addressing seminarians. And so that's a very helpful, I think, preliminary way of introducing young men to the topic of discernment and the priesthood. And then a second book called To Save a Thousand Souls, which was also written by a vocation director, uh, uh, Father Brennan, in the Diocese of Savannah, Georgia, who just wove together amazing anecdotes and lives of the saints and quick little things from everything you might be wondering about what it's like to go to the seminary, what it's like to be a priest, how to deal with the challenges. Um, And both books, I think, are very helpful in, in the early stages of someone's discernment. And then, of course, there are many others uh, that I would say nourish a man when he's more into the discernment, like in the seminary itself, such as uh, Columba Marmion's book, Christ, the Ideal of the Priest. I think that's a book that every seminarian should have to read and uh, really Mm -hmm. meditate upon and see what it means to be pursuing the path of the priesthood as in persona Christi living and trying to conform ourselves to the person of Christ as, as well as we can. So, there's no end to the books that could be read, but those are <laughs> a few that are important. I think.
0: I'm sure there's lots of time for reading in seminary too. Um, I I'm not familiar with the last one you mentioned. Um, I never got past the preliminary stages of discerning the priesthood, <laughs> but I did read uh, I read Cardinal Dolan's book and I loved it. Um, even uh, even as a as a layman in the world, a married man, I think it it actually um, it it really just helps to understand. Uh, you know the the vocation that we all have to the threefold mission of Christ um, mm-hmm. and just the virtue of manhood, of manliness. I, I really Absolutely. love that book. Um, so let's let's talk about Cardinal Sarah then. Um, let's let's first talk about the man himself. So maybe you could just introduce him to the world here of CCO reads, who is Cardinal Robert Sarah? and why has he captured the attention of so many Catholics in the West today?
1: Well, as you uh, said in your introduction, he currently holds a position as the head of uh, Roman Dicastery, meaning one of the offices in the Vatican bureaucracy. Uh, So I sometimes try and compare these positions to being sort of like uh, cabinet ministers in a parliament. So, you know, not the head, obviously, Uh, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, is the head, but needs to be surrounded by collaborators who help to direct the efforts of different parts of the church. And So Cardinal Sarah would be what we might call the the head liturgist of the church uh, in his current position because he Is the prefect of the congregation for divine worship and the discipline of the sacraments And so he is principally concerned with the administration of how the church celebrates the sacraments And how we uh, pray using our sacred rituals and so How uh, he got to that position is actually kind of interesting because he doesn't have a background and formal training, as it were, in the sacred liturgy. Uh, In fact, he appeared on the stage in Rome under the pontificate of Pope Benedict when he was doing work with uh, the charitable branch of the church's efforts and uh, administering uh, the resources that the church is available for the poor in the third world because uh, Cardinal Sara was from a very poor country, from, from Guinea in Central Africa, and has lived firsthand the, the horrors uh, that can befall people who are enslaved by poverty. And yet, when you hear him speak about poverty, you realize that he sees it uh, as certainly a cross and a challenge, but not one that is indomitable. It, it's something that, that can become the path to one's holiness and so that has significantly shaped and influenced who he is and so i believe it was that experience that led to his being brought to rome as a trusted confidant of uh, our our previous holy father pope benedict Uh, and then by i guess a a stroke of providence uh, our holy father now pope francis decided that perhaps he would also best guide the church in her efforts uh, with regard to the sacred liturgy and our, our worship and our celebration of the sacraments. So that's where he's found himself now. And his clear and humble but um, fearless uh, style of communication, mm-hmm. uh, he's, he can be very blunt, almost uh, painfully blunt, uh, in communicating the truth, I think has captured Western audiences who are inspired by a man who is so manifestly holy, uh, but also very simple and not really a huge academic or intellectual, but one who has become academic and intellectual quite uh, quite the opposite way of study, but more through prayer, uh, and seeing that the school of the Holy Spirit, as he puts it, uh, should be our first and most important instructor.
0: One of the ways that people in the West would uh, would have been introduced by Cardinal Sarah, I think is through his book, which came out in 2015, God or Nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe if they were aware of him kind of, um, you know, vaguely at, before that, <clears throat> probably they, they would recognize the cover of the book. It's kind of been all over the place in the Catholic world. I'm wondering if you could give us a bit of a quick synopsis um, to God or Nothing. What is this book about?
1: Right. Well, God or Nothing... Uh, was a very important book, and though uh, it is full entirely of content of, of Karnassar, he didn't actually write it. It's it's a book-length interview uh, with uh, a French journalist, uh, Nicolas Diat, who has uh, won the confidence of of his eminence, and so basically gives him an opportunity to more or less introduce himself to the world, in a a way, because really no one knew him. He was, for many years, uh, an obscure bishop in Africa, uh, who, through different trials and perseverances, ended up emerging as this uh, shining star in the African episcopacy, and found his way eventually even to Rome, where he was serving the universal church. And so this book serves as sort of a compilation of his many and and varied experiences, uh, not the least of which is the fact that he came from um, what I guess you would call a a pagan tribe of people. He he himself uh, watched his own family go through conversion, true authentic conversion in the traditional sense of the word, Um, not a falling deeper in love with Christ, Uh, or being reintroduced to Christ, but hearing the gospel proclaimed for the first time by missionaries and watching the people of his ancestral tribe uh, be converted to Christianity, uh, of course, himself as well. And so just hearing those experiences of of the, I think one of the most poignant moments of that book for me was realizing just how deeply entrenched he was in that that pagan way of life, um, being led out into the wilderness uh, to undergo uh, a ritual of passage into manhood uh, that really came for to every man in, in his tribe, but which certainly left an impact, an, an impact on him, uh, but realizing that in a, in a certain sense, it, it was empty of meaning until he met Christ. And uh, so I, I think that he's just been through almost everything you can imagine someone having ever gone through and therefore anyone can find something to relate to him with
0: there was one uh episode i remember in god or nothing where he was talking about um being appointed as the rector of the seminary Mm -hmm. in uh in i i I guess this was before he was um appointed the archbishop of conakry but i think it was one of his first major do you remember that story
1: Yes. I, well, I don't remember. I'm not sure what was With the, the, the detail that you found.
0: Well, there was the, it, it was about the seminarians being undisciplined. And there was sort of a culture of um, uh, just disobedience, I think, and and I think maybe sort of dissolute living. And um, I think he, he basically, uh, he was trying to clamp down and, and improve the discipline. And the seminarians set the fire, they set the chapel on fire one night. Right. Do you remember yeah. that? Yes, and he yes, said yes. He, he like tried to um correct their behavior or something. He said if if it doesn't change, I'm gonna shut down the seminary and, and uh and just close it up. And that's what ended up happening. He shut it down. Mm-hmm. He dispelled all he expelled all the students and then he started over from scratch, I think. Right. Or something. I don't know. It was
1: <laughs> well it was there so that crazy. he that he used that as an opportunity to reflect upon the priesthood and said um Having a great number of priests who are not committed to holiness uh, is of greater harm to the church than having too few priests to do all of the work that is needed and at least being committed to holiness and being committed to the truth and the proclamation of the gospel. And that I remember really striking me as him saying, I couldn't care less about not having enough priests to get the work done as long as the priests that I have are holy and want to be saints. And that is the recurring theme. That, well, given the title of the book, he he keeps challenging uh, Western and modern concepts of uh, where happiness and fulfillment come, uh, because he says these things are all devoid of God. And regularly, if they're only devoid of God and not actually evil in themselves, you're lucky. But in so many cases, these things are inherently evil, even. And therefore, we have to make a decision that. If it it comes down to renouncing even the whole world uh, so that we can preserve our faith and preserve our relationship with God, and that if that's what it costs, then that would be uh, not too much to cost.
0: Now, in 2017, last year, uh, Cardinal Sarah's second offering came out, also authored by Nicholas Diet. Um, I presume this was also sort of a book length interview with the Cardinal. Um, and I think this book delves deeper into the, the path toward holiness um, that you're speaking of there. Um, r- really, it's his treatise on silence. So when I, when I talked to you about this book um, a couple months back, I remember asking you if you were enjoying it. And you said something like, it's not the kind of book you enjoy, it's the kind of book you need.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So what is the power of silence? And, um, and what did you mean by that?
1: Well the power of silence is again structured to be a book length interview but in a in a different way than just merely answering questions about himself and about his experiences he is he's entering into the mystery of what is contained within silence and uh, the subtitle is uh, responding to the dictatorship of noise and i think that he he really captures the essence of what is wrong with our modern world, which is a world that cannot focus. We cannot contemplate God. Uh, I know that a saint that he refers to, who I, I think he obviously finds an important part of his own spiritual life, is um, Saint Jose Maria Escriva, who used to say that uh, we as, as Catholics must learn to be contemplatives in the middle of the world. And what he meant by that was that despite being surrounded by noise and distractions, we need to learn how to withdraw into what other, even more ancient authors have called the monastery of the heart, that our, our hearts become a place where even surrounded by noise and distraction and violations of our senses, we can enter into that profound silence and be with God uh, we we know theologically, we speak about the indwelling of the Blessed Trinity, that uh, the, the state of grace is that awareness that God, from the moment of our baptism, has come to dwell in our soul, uh, and prayer is us communing with Him there, uh, entering deep within to be with Him, uh, who is never farther away from us than our soul is from our body. And Cardinal Sara's question is, Have we lost the capacity to do that? Have we lost Mm -hmm. the capacity to be silent? And so he proposes as an example for the whole church to consider and learn from uh, the almost 1,000-year-old religious order founded by St. Bruno, known as the Carthusians, uh, who live uh, an extremely ascetic level of silence. You may remember a a long film that came out a few years ago called Into Great Silence, which was an almost two and a half hour long movie that contained absolutely not a single spoken word uh, until within the last 15 minutes of the film when they actually begin to interview these monks. Uh, But to, to show what it was like to enter into an atmosphere where silence is the language. And he really demonstrates for us how silence is a language. Silence is a way in which we communicate with God and he communicates with us.
0: How would you explain or describe the experience of reading this book for you? I found it challenging, <laughs> personally. I'm I'm actually working on it right now. Um, uh, it's it's the kind of book that I mean you you really you don't read a lot at once. You know, you kind of have to sit with his thoughts. How would you describe the experience of reading it for yourself?
1: I would say that it was the experience of. Rigorous spiritual exercise. Uh, As you said, you you read it in small bits. And so as a part of my daily prayer regimen, I I set a block of time aside just for spiritual reading, uh, but not a very long time. And so that was what I did. And I spent several months with that book being for me that that, uh, daily spiritual reading. And it was all I could handle, you know, 15 minutes at a time was about as much as I could bear. Because every time I put the book down, I realized that he was presenting to me an ideal that I so desperately longed for, Mm -hmm. but that I realized simultaneously I did very little to obtain uh, or to achieve, that in some ways, even without my meaning to, I too had become enslaved to the dictatorship of noise. Um, And just to give you an example, I've noticed Mm -hmm. that there were times when even I would put on some music uh, in the background to do my reading. Uh, and I thought, why why does there need to be sound right now when I'm reading? Why, why can't I just be silent? Why can there not just be silence? Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, his book has challenged me on very practical levels to look for ways in which to integrate silence into my daily life that I think just, I guess, through some uh, lack of diligence, I had let slip away if maybe had never even been there in the first place. Yeah.
0: That's actually the the kind of impression I have every time I sit down and read it is, I am so far from the ideal that he is describing. And I didn't even know that. Like, I thought yeah. my life had space for the Lord. Um, I thought I was doing a fairly good job of of maintaining silence in my life, but man, I'm I'm far from the ideal. Um, yeah, and I, you know, what is silence? What what? This is something that I, I, a question I ask as I'm reading along is, what is silence actually? What does he mean by silence? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: He he regularly returns to the image of silence being full. Uh, And there's a section in the book, I'm not sure if you've gotten to it yet, where he talks about Eastern spirituality, and that the fundamental error in Eastern spirituality is the notion of total self-emptying, where he says that it is believed that the ultimate and the ideal uh, is actually to have completely emptied oneself. Mm -hmm. But he says that only brings us halfway we can only empty ourselves for the sake of being refilled uh, and filled more entirely and almost exclusively by God himself. Uh, and so he talks about silence, not as being empty, uh, as a space in which we put ourselves to escape from everything else, but that actually, he says, silence is full, silence uh, fills you. and. Therefore, he invites us to see making room and time for silence in our life to be a means by which we are more filled by our Lord, more filled by the Holy Spirit uh, than merely emptying ourselves of distractions uh, or noise. Uh, He even talks about he he says we have to be careful not to narrow this down to being just things that go into our ears. Mm -hmm. He even talks about the noise of the eyes. Uh, and how we now live in a time where things are constantly flashing in front of us, uh, how uh, children from their earliest days now are are learning how to hold an iPad in their hands and have this visual stimulation constantly. And he's saying that that is another form of, of noise, uh, even if it's not making a sound. And so to learn how to fill ourselves instead with silence, which is itself a very full experience, uh, and not regarded as merely emptying ourselves of these other distractions.
0: I noticed also that he uses the language of violence a lot. He talks about the dictatorship of noise, for instance. Um, but he often describes these distractions uh, in a in, in way that is sort of reminiscent of battle. You know, there's this assault on us from the outside, um, and we have to do battle against it. What do you think for university students um, listening right now? Um, you know, they have the unique challenge of being full-time students and trying to uh, trying to build uh, a relationship with God to find times for silence and solitude in lives that are very social. Um, do you think there's specific advice that, uh, that you can give to them um, as they try to enter this battle to find silence, carve out silence in their lives?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, As counterintuitive as it may seem, I would say that one of the most important ways that university students can build this uh, into their life uh, is precisely to do it with other people. Uh, This is what I find is uh, the the brilliant charism of the Carthusians uh, that we have had for many centuries since since St. Anthony of Egypt, kind of seen to be the father of monasticism. Uh, the idea of being hermits, of withdrawing, literally walking out into the wilderness and Mm -hmm. building a little hut for yourself and withdrawing from contact with people. Uh, So we have had that, but the Carthusians came together to be silent with each other. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's something very profound about being in a space with other people, but with whom you aren't sharing intentional interaction. Uh, I think one of the things that is becoming so clear to me as an integral part of young people's experience of prayer has been adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. And uh, in CCO, we are very used to the format that we follow of of the regular summit. Uh, and we know that that's also a time sometimes filled with uh, preaching uh, before the Blessed Sacrament, uh, certainly with praise and worship music. But then also making sure there are a very defined and noticeable periods of time in that uh, in that evening of just silence. But it is a silence lived with other people. And I think the fear many people have about pursuing solitude is the idea that they need to run away, lock themselves into a room, hide themselves from the world and just be alone with God. Uh, but it's possible for us to be alone with God, with many other people around us who are all trying to be alone with God at the same time. Yeah. And then it becomes a communal experience of solitude. Yeah. And I think we need to learn to embrace that.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, another idea that um, that Cardinal Sarah expresses in this book is um, the idea that silence doesn't necessarily require you to go off to a, a monastery he asked the question does one need to go off to a monastery in order to be contemplative or to find interior silence um, and I think he challenge he does challenge us to discover that silence um, even in the midst of the noise around mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. Uh, and that's definitely a challenge for me I have three little children at home so um, the the you know the literal silence is uh is hard to come by at least at home so um to maintain that that uh interior serenity i think mm-hmm. and to 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 maintain a closeness to the lord um in the midst of whatever is going on you know outside uh is is a challenge but i think it's a good one well, Colonel now, sarah you know, talks
1: about the uh, our lady as an example uh, and refers to how she would ponder these things in her Mm, heart. mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think in a way he's probably pointing to the fact that that didn't mean that she lived her life in abject silence. Um, She was a regular woman in the middle of uh, a regular bustling life where she had to go draw water and wash clothes and cook food. Um, But yet she had the capacity to withdraw into her heart and enter into that union with God uh, that we all must learn to find for ourselves.
0: Now next week at the Saint John Fisher dinner, um, there are going to be about four hundred and thirty people at the Ambassador Ballroom in Kingston. But I I know uh, you're going to be you're going to be there as well, mm-hmm. and uh, I hope you get a chance to speak with Cardinal Sarah at some point. And I'm just wondering if you get a chance to sit down and chat with him at all, what would you want to say to him?
1: Well, I have been. Um, praying about and rehearsing for the moment (laughs) that I hope does present itself, where I will uh, get a chance to speak with him. And what I'm what I would like to ask him is for some direction. Um, As a vocation director, how uh, would he like to encourage me or how would he like to see me Uh, modeling for my seminarians and for those whom I am mentoring to discern the possibility of entering the seminary. What should I be modeling for them? Uh, How should a vocation director be being intentional about setting uh, a tone for his seminarians um, from the beginning stages of their formation? Uh, Because I'm sure he'll have something to say about that. Uh, but I, I appreciate it. it. Must also mean that it can't just be about always being silent with each <laughs> other, uh, because when I have thought about this, he has been taking on quite a substantial speaking circuit. Mm-hmm. He's traveling all over, speaking. Speaking could hardly be considered, um, silent. <laughs> yeah, I've thought of that. Too. And so, how is he in seeing himself engaged in active and, and verbal and public apostolate, still? Demonstrating that uh, value that he has spoken of at great length, and so I hope he maybe have some. He will maybe have some practical um, encouragement or, or advice for me uh, to better the work that I do.
0: Or maybe he'll just sit with you in silence, and he won't respond to your question at all, and and, and thereby he will model and demonstrate what <laughs> you should be. <laughs> well,
1: I actually hope that happens because it'll be the most epic thing to recount to later. Oh, that'll be a great uh, story later when I say that Cardinal Sarr and I just sat and. And, and did not look at each other, but sat knee to knee for 10 minutes and oh, that, didn't say a word. The,
0: like joking aside, that actually reminds me of the episode at the beginning of The Power of Silence. Do you remember that episode? Uh, I think it was the uh, the author, Nicholas Diet, recounting an episode of um, his visit. Being in the monastery. Being in the monastery, yeah. Can you tell that mm-hmm. story maybe just at the end of our conversation here? Uh,
1: I, I don't know if it, this is what you're referring to, but he talks about... Um, going in to visit uh, a dying yes, brother. yep, definitely uh, And while that uh, that brother was um, dying, uh, Cardinal Sara brought him a viaticum. and and he he was so moved by the experience of not needing to do anything, not needing to uh, say any words to console him, uh, but by merely having administered to him the sacrament of Holy Communion and then just having sat at his bedside in his presence. Cardinal Sara speaks after of how impacted he was and how he felt ministered to by this dying man uh, as they both just shared this time together in silence. And uh, that, I mean, I could, I could picture it as he was describing yeah. it. Uh, I know I've, I've been in, in moments like that at, at a person's deathbed. Sometimes silence is the most powerful mode of communication uh, and it can be more full than any words that you could say.
0: Well, then let's leave it at that, Father. Beautiful. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today.
1: I really am grateful to have been asked. Thanks, Dan.
0: So for our listeners, if you're interested to hear more from Father Cristino, you can check out his blog and it's sword, sword or swords?
1: Swords, plural. Swords,
0: swordsoftruth.com. And you'll find blog posts there from himself and some other priests and uh, lay women who contribute to that blog. And you can also read Father's homilies there. And I believe there's also audio files there of some of your homilies, is that
1: right? Yes, homilies audio as well.
0: Fantastic, thanks so much Father. And I look forward to seeing you here in Kingston next week.
1: Yes, I'll see you next week, thank you.
0: As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the St. John Fisher dinner will take place this Wednesday, March 14th with Cardinal Robert Sarah. Now the dinner is completely sold out, but you can listen to the Cardinals talk live on Facebook. And that'll take place around 8:15 p.m. Eastern time on CCO's national page. So that's facebook.com/cco-campus. Cardinal Sarah's talk is entitled "Lessons from the Mission Lands."